Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. I think on the bulletin it says Mark 14. That's my fault. Um, did a little switch thing. So uh, Matthew 26, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one, uh, if you need to borrow it or keep it. Either one. It's our gift to you. And if you... Um, uh, are a user of the Bible app. You can open up that app, find our live event, track along with the scriptures and the sermon notes uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, have you ever read something in the Bible where you're like, something just really stuck with you? I mean, like you've read it before and every time you come across it, it just sticks. This is that phrase for me. Uh, long ago, um, read that read this uh, particular phrase that we're going to look at, and um, it just stuck. Like if ever I write a book, like this is the book uh, that I think, the title of the book, Following at a Distance. Following at a Distance. I'll look, uh, we'll look at the um, stuff here in just a second, but I I just want to give you a few images here to kind of set this up. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of following Jesus at a distance. And so, um, a couple of images here. The first one uh, is this. Anybody a big fan of... RC cars there. That's yeah, awesome. A couple of you are. Fantastic. Uh, in my mind, like I'm here, you know, kind of walking along with my radio control car there, and I just press go and leave the wheel straight, and off it goes, zing, and it goes way faster than me because I can't run that fast. And eventually, what happens? It gets out of range, right? And then the, the capacity to receive direction is then cut off. Because there's this distance. This is the second picture that I thought about when I thought about following at a distance. Yeah, yeah, our favorite. Our favorite. There it is right there. Good old traffic, Houston TX. Just past downtown. There's not near enough cones out, I noticed in the picture there. So it's a little bit older picture, I guess. Um, Anyway, following it, like, because I got to thinking about following at a distance. In traffic, it's good to follow at a distance. Some of you have met some people before because either they weren't following at a distance or you weren't. You made new acquaintances, not really friends, but just people. Uh, and, and so there's a sense in which like following at a distance is probably better in some stages. But eventually, like if you follow at a distance consistently, you never actually get to where you're going. Why? Because everybody pulls in front of you. Am I right on this? And then, of course, they use their blinker after the fact. So if you are new to Houston, you haven't been around, in most people, uh, in their driving experience, blinkers are signals of intention. Like you turn your blinker on because you intend to turn or intend to change lanes. In Houston, it's not a signal of intention. It's a signal of activity. This is what I'm doing. Get out of my way. Am I right, Houston people? So, amen, amen. So, uh, like, with the radio control car there, like, you could, you could out, it could outpace you or you could outpace it and lose the capacity to receive direction. In this particular case, if you're following at a distance, uh, you may not ever actually get to where you're going, maybe, or where you need to be. And this is the last one I thought about. NASCAR fans, Anybody? I'm not. I just need you to know that. But, I mean, four left turns, I don't understand it all. I just don't understand the fascination with it. If that's you, cool. I'm good with that. But anybody know what this particular technique is called? Anybody? 
drafting, okay? You stick, and again, some of you are very familiar with this technique because of the Gulf Freeway. Like you understand this altogether, where you stick your front bumper like heartbeats away from their back bumper. And what happens in this is that the airflow actually makes the two cars, the, the the, the proximity between the two cars actually makes the airflow treat their cars as one. And so they both, the physics has shown, they both actually pick up three to five miles an hour faster. Isn't that crazy? The, the second car is drawing energy from the one that it's following. And that's what I think about following at a distance, whether it's too far and you lose capacity to receive direction or whether it's far, just far enough, but you're never going to get to where you're going. Or right up close and you're drawing energy from the one that you're following. Uh, th- this particular passage in Matthew 26, as I said, this phrase has stuck with me for years now. And just to set it up, Peter and the disciples of Jesus, they've already eaten the Lord's Supper. They've already gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll look at that in just a second, that passage. Um, uh, Jesus has been arrested, and then we pick up the story in verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. So you had a mob come out, and uh, they arrested Jesus, and they're leading him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. They already had a trial set up, and you knew how this was going to go. It's a kangaroo court, the whole thing. Verse 58, and Peter was following him at a distance. That's the phrase. Following his, Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. So close enough, but not too close. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. That's a powerful little verse for me, because in my mind, I find myself like Peter so often. I want to follow Jesus but it seems better, safer to follow him at a distance. But the truth is, is that we're not talking about remote control cars or traffic or NASCAR. We're talking about a relationship. And so there has to be some sort of proximity, some sort of vulnerability, some sort of communication there because I'm not following a car. I'm not following a machine. I'm following a person. And I find myself like Peter, maybe you do too, where you're kind of uh, there and you want to hang around so that you can see the end, like see how this is going to shake out, maybe get some insight onto what's really going on. But you're following him at a distance. And the reason we do so is because we perceive that it's safer to follow him at a distance. But the truth is, is that it's not satisfying. And that's the entire series in a statement right there. We follow at a distance because we think it's safer, but it is not satisfying. We're not close enough to draw life, to draw energy from the one that we're following. So I'll just give you a couple of thoughts here as to why I think God wants us to work in this series and on this theme for a little bit. Uh, first of all, is that if we take that mindset like Peter, I think I'll just stick around in the courtyard. Now, by the way, did it end up safe for Peter in the courtyard? 
No, he got actually confronted. Hey, aren't you one of them? He's like, no, oh, we'll look at that maybe next week or in a couple of weeks. Um, so it wasn't safe for him there either. So let's just put that on the table. But that mindset, that mindset has the um, capacity and it so often does. It spreads to every part of our lives where we say something like this. I'll just settle for this. I'll just settle for this. This kind of existence, this kind of at a distance relationship, this kind of uh, um, um, walk that sees God out there and doing stuff, but I don't want to get too close, whatever it may be, however you may express it. And I'm here to say, following at a distance, it may feel safer, but it is not satisfying. It's not. And to just settle for that. Because some of you, you come in and I get this. I get this. You come in and you're like, hey man, my life's actually pretty good right now. My kids are getting ready to go back to school. Uh, Like they're not in daycare anymore. So that's a pay raise. You know what I mean? All of that kind of stuff. Whatever you feel like, hey, my marriage is okay. My kids are doing fine. They're not, you know, smoking whatever or whatever. Whatever it feels like to you. My life is great right now. I I think I want to keep just this amount of space. I want you to know I'm praying for you. And here's how I'm praying for you. That God would mess you up. Like, that's how I'm praying for you. Isn't that kind? Like, you go away and then you come back. and I'm serious. That's a heart attack too. This morning even. I'm, I'm praying like, God, would you give us some sense of holy discontent that says, I don't want to remain that distant from you. I don't want to just settle for this. I don't want to. What you don't know, again, it, it, that kind of mindset permeates. So it'll show up in every other relationship that you have too. I'll just settle. Second reason why I think this series is important, kind of God setting this out before us, because there's no security apart from Jesus. You may think that there is, or you may feel safer, but again, with Peter, it didn't work out so well in the courtyard, and for us, it doesn't work out so well either. There is no security apart from Jesus. We may feel safer, but we're not secure. Just this morning, I don't know if you saw the news, 63 or something like that, dead in Kabul, 180-something injured as uh, the Islamic State blew up a um, car and killed all these people in a market. I mean, our world is not a safe place. It is not a place of security. And for us to think, to spin up in our minds that, hey, suburbia is a different place. Dayton, El Paso. I mean, what? There is no security apart from Jesus. There's just not. Uh, Third reason I think God wants us to spend some time here is that our proximity to him, um, again, you think about NASCAR, us drafting, if you will, behind him is what brings transformation to our lives. Peter, the guy that we're looking at here, wrote a letter, and, and he wrote two of them. His second one, the first couple of verses say this. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, his, God's divine power, has given us Everything that we need for life and godliness. Isn't that good news? Like God's not holding back on you and how to parent or how to go to work or how to deal with your aging parents or whatever. God's not holding back. His divine divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And then he finishes through, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So through the knowledge, through knowing Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus 
That's how we are transformed. That's how we are transformed. And so to, to, to get right up on him, to draft from him, to draw energy and life from him, that's, that's what we're about. And the last reason why I think this is an important series is just simply this. In, in the days ahead, I think God's got some big stuff for us as a church family. If you haven't been around, um, if, they, if we haven't talked about it in a situation where you've been, a circumstance in which you've been, a room that you've been sitting in, we're looking at church planning. We're looking at um, changing some, uh, making some big changes regarding kids' ministry. There are uh, we've got new groups starting. There are all sorts of things that God has out there for us um, in this next season of our church's life. And you know what's going to be required of us? is It is going to require of us something that distance doesn't offer us. So we'll need to lean into that. And in order to do that, in order to be those kinds of people, we're going to have to get right up close and draw life and energy from the one that we're following. It may seem safer, but it is not satisfying. And I think about this question for just a second. What, what would you describe? How distant, maybe ask it this way, how distant are you from Jesus right now? Like, what's your distance? If you, if you had to kind of take your own pulse, how distant are you from Jesus right now? That's not a guilt question. It's just a question. It's not a, oh, I can't believe it. It's just a question. How distant are you from him right now? So some of you come in and man, you've, you're like me. We're, we're in great shape right now. I'm following close. Some of you come in and you're like, man, everything has gone sideways and I haven't talked to him in age. Some of you are coming in and you're like, man, because of some of the things that have happened to me, we're not on speaking terms right now. All of those things can be true. Just how distant are you? And then I want you to hear this invitation. Because if we're going to be a people who don't follow at a distance, but instead uh, engage with him and try to get right up on him, following close so we draw life and energy from him, uh, you you need to hear a couple of invitations. The, The one that I want to focus on this morning is an invitation to prayer. Now, please hear me. This is not an invitation to feel guilty about how much you pray or how you pray or anything like that. Sometimes these kind of sermons come off like that. This is not that. This is an invitation to prayer and prayer for a couple of specific things. So back up to verse 36. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is a garden area outside of Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, sit here um, while I go over there and pray. And then he took with him Peter, there's our guy, and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And he, Jesus, began to be sorrowful and troubled. And so when he became sorrowful and troubled, what did he do? He prayed, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He knows what's coming. He knows that there's, there's agony and pain and torture and ultimately death. He knows that that's coming. So he, he turns to prayer. And then I want to f- spend a couple of minutes just thinking about verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from 
me. Now, I just want to pause right there. Because the invitation to prayer, based upon not following him at a distance, based upon our proximity to him, our, our being close enough to draw energy and life from him, is an invitation to prayer. And it's an invitation, first and foremost, to pray for miracles. Anybody up for miracles? Man. And Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He is pleading with the Father. And what is he pleading for? If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. So you kind of, what, basically what he's saying is, God, I, I, am, I am pleading with you. I am begging you to work something fantastic, something huge, something beyond my imagination. I am absolutely pouring my heart out. Luke's account says it was such a stressful, strained, filled moment that even the capillaries in his skin were breaking. So it looked like he was sweating blood. He is laying it out before God. And what, one of the ways that we know that this is happening is just this little clue. Look in verse 39. And going a little further, what happened? What did he do? What's it say? He did what? He... Somebody say it out loud. He fell on his face. I don't know if you've ever had that moment in prayer. The news comes, the email comes, the phone call comes, whatever it is, and you, you don't have any other response than to just fall on your face. No, this is the only time, this is crazy. It's the only time in the Bible where we see Jesus on his face praying. Most of the time, when Jesus prays, the Bible says he'd come to a place and he would lift his face to heaven because he was talking to his dad, right? He's talking to his father. So he lifts his face to heaven. He's like, oh, Father, thank you that you're here, that you see me, that you're going to work this miracle, that you're going to do this thing. What? God, thank you for this. So he's looking upward most of the time when he prays. He goes off by himself and they find him and he's, he's lifted his face to heaven and he's praying. He's giving thanks by lifting his face to heaven. God, thank you that you're in control of this, whatever. This is the only time where we see Jesus not looking upward when he's praying. And so he is pleading with the Father and you know that you're praying a big prayer, a miracle kind of prayer when you kind of start that groaning thing too. It'll sound like groaning inside of you and your face may very well end up in the carpet. Something is so heavy, something is so big inside of you that you just kind of lean forward and it takes you down. And what is he specifically asking for? Not just any old miracle. He's pleading, but he's asking basically the Father to reroute history. I don't know if you notice that or not. Uh, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. So all of these promises and all of these prophecies that the Old Testament, like, can we rework that in some way to make this thing go differently? In light of what I'm facing, in light of the pain, in light of the torture, in light of the death, in light of the separation, in light of having to carry the sins of the world, God, is there any way that we can kind of make a shift here? Can we reroute some history to make this happen? I mean, that's a pretty big prayer. Would you agree with that? That's a pretty big prayer. And Jesus is perfectly comfortable asking God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. And some of you are at that place. God, I need you to reroute something in me. I, I need you to reroute cells that are out of whack and have grown something that they ought not have. God, I need you to reroute some things in my marriage because if you don't, it seems like that we're headed off 
into the abyss there. God, if I need you to reroute some things in my kid's life or in my work situation or in this other circumstance. I need you to reroute. I need you to work in a way that only you can. And so that burden kind of wells up inside of you, this, this groaning. And it puts you maybe face down and then you start asking for something huge. You pray for miracles. And sometimes... God works, and he, sometimes this is exactly what he does. And I, I'll never forget the time, the very first time in my life when these two things came together, this, this pleading and groaning and this rerouting, miraculously so, of history. Uh, our friends Dan and Kristen, uh, he's a doctor, and she has her PhD in anatomy, and they're smart people. Uh, we were living in San Antonio. She was... Um, pregnant. They went for the um, ultrasound, boy-girl ultrasound, you know, they do all the measurements and that kind of thing. And uh, the ultrasound tech goes, hey, uh, I, need, I need to go talk to the doctor for a minute. Dan is a ER physician. Like, he knows something's up. Something smells. He's like, no, 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 no. What's happening? No, no, I'm just going to get that. Turns out, baby Emily has a Condition where some of the structure stuff in her brain is not uh, right. And it looks like she could be born with hydrocephalus and some other things. And they are in pieces when they call. So Jenny and I go hustling over there. We get there and the, the cloud is just over the room. You know how that feels when you walk into that. And they said, we don't know what to do. Can you just pray? So we just started praying. And we didn't know what to do either. We're just, God, we're praying. And here, here's something that I remember. It is so, I get it. It is so subjective. You're just going to have to take my word for it. I'm telling you, as we prayed, it felt like we entered into something holy and powerful and incredible and miraculous. But because somehow, some way, uh, we begin to feel the burden of this situation and almost like um, we were beginning to feel how God felt about it. Does that make sense? Like the burden was so profound that, listen, we ran out of words. I ran out of words. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself, right? Like that's a moment right there where you're like, oh, you've never run out of words before. Um, you, I ran out of words to pray. And all I knew to do was just, it was groaning. I don't know how else to say it. Before God, for God to do something. And you know what? He did. <laughs> Emily's a sophomore at a university and things ought not be the way that they are, but God has continually sustained her and and he just did it. And I think in the days ahead for our lives, for our church family, for some of your families, for some of your particular lives, we just need to pray big. So here's the question. What's the biggest prayer that you're praying right now? What is it? Just think about that. What's the biggest prayer that you're praying right now? One of the books that I read while I was off uh, on sabbatical, a guy's telling a story. He's a seminary student. He's going to listen to this speaker guy, big famous speaker guy. And the guy asks the same question. Hey, what's the biggest prayer you're praying right now? Write it down on a card. So he takes it out and writes it down. I need $500 for... Uh, um, you know, to finish my seminary uh, education. And he thought, man, that's a big prayer right there. Like 500 bucks to a poor seminary student. That's a big prayer. Like God, that's like part the waters big. Like move the mountain big. That's huge. And then the speaker guy stopped and goes, okay, now let's share some. 
He's like, I'm praying for $500. Other person, other person. What about you, speaker guy? What are you praying for? Oh, he goes, oh, I'm praying for an, a, a cure to cancer in my lifetime. Oh, well, my $500 didn't seem too important right there. <laughs> What's the biggest, I was really convicted by that story. What's the biggest prayer that you're praying right now? What's the biggest thing that you could set before God, face down and say, God, if there's any way that you can do that, do it. Do it. But it's not only an invitation to pray for miracles. It's also an invitation to pray for surrender because the sentence, I stopped in the middle of the sentence. Did you notice verse 39? Going a little farther, he fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then my Bible has a semicolon, meaning there's another thought coming that's not out of touch with the, with the first thought. Nevertheless, there's our transition word, not as I will, but as you will. It's a prayer. It's an invitation. Jesus is inviting us to pray for surrender. Again, following him at a distance, it's not safe. Excuse me, it, 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 we think that it might be safe. It ends up not being safe at all. We think it might be safe, but it's definitely not satisfying. And so Jesus is asking us to step into this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will. Your will be done. i just give you a couple of thoughts here. Why, why don't we do this? I'll just run down a few, see if you identify with any of these. I found maybe five from my own life. See if you could certainly add to the list. First of all, we don't want to surrender some things. We don't want to surrender control. Hey, I want to actually have a say in how this thing goes. Anybody with me on that? Nope. Okay. We don't want to surrender control. We don't want to surrender freedom. And I put that in quotes here simply because the real freedom is actually in following Jesus, not in doing it our own way. We don't want to surrender control. We don't want to surrender freedom. And we don't want to surrender comfort. Anybody identify with any of those? I don't want to surrender control. I don't want to surrender freedom. I don't want to surrender comfort. We, we treat God as like some divine Pez dispenser where we crack him open just enough for him to spit out a snack that we can enjoy for a moment, taste pretty good, and then go back, right? And what all of this is about is our sense of entitlement. One of the songs I heard on sabbatical messed me up. One of the great lines is, uh, Jesus, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Ugh. That's a little harder to sing than it is just to hear. Why don't we pray like this? It could be one of those three things. Control our, our sense of freedom or our sense of comfort. Um, and maybe that's you and you're here and that's, that's going to be your struggle. The, the second way though, um, maybe a different group, is that we don't want to submit to a couple of things. We don't want to submit to perseverance and we don't want to submit to pruning. Meaning what? Perseverance, like, God, I don't want to walk this path. Does anybody have that moment where you're like, hey, God, I understand that this is the path that you have me on. I'm out. I don't want to walk this path. You're leading, but I want to follow you at a distance because this is not awesome. This is not great. It's not. 
You don't want to submit to perseverance because you've been hurt or uh, uh, somebody has sinned against you or you've been burned by this other thing or uh, the church has done this or you feel like God has disappointed you um, in some way or uh, you can't, some of us, uh, we can't persevere because we can't see a way forward. God, I'm not sure that you have enough provision or enough power to actually get me through this current situation that I'm facing. I'm not sure you're big enough to handle the diagnosis or the relational issue or this other dysfunction or this bondage or this uh, whatever it may be. I don't want to submit to the perseverance. Forgetting, here's what we forget when we say that to God. We forget that for the most part, our life is perseverance. We just keep walking the path that God has for us. There's this great passage in Hebrews. We won't read it right this second, but there's this great passage in Hebrews where at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is awesome, right? I mean, it's incredible where it's like, oh, by faith, Noah did this. And by faith, Abraham did that. And by faith, this and that. And you get all of this stuff, right? And you're like, yeah, man, heroes, people that we want to follow. And then he goes, about verse 32, he starts and he goes, oh, man, and time would fail me to tell you about all these other people, David and Samuel, these prophets. And man, they were incredible and they saw the king them come and they saw enemies put to flight and women received the dead back. I mean, like, this is incredible. And everybody's like, man, that's the kind of people I want, I want to be a part of that. And then in the very middle of the verse, he transitions and says this, and some experience some other things like being sawn in two, being forsaken, being thrown in jail, being rejected and turned away. And he goes on to describe that he has this little phrase. These are people of whom the world is not worthy. The the people of whom the world is not worthy are the people who just keep walking, who are willing to continue to persevere. And our our pushback on that, the the, the way that we fight that that thing where we're like, I don't want to, I don't want to, is we pray the prayer of surrender. God, I would have it some other way if I could, but not my will. Yours be done. And the second part is the pruning. And John 15 has been really special to me over the past uh, couple of months, really. Where, but the picture is from John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. On occasion, he pulls those clippers out of his pocket. And he'll go to snipping. Oh, you don't need that branch. Clip. Oh, you don't need that branch. Clip. Okay, just a pinch. Clip. And you're like, ow, ow, ow stop that. God's been doing some of that in me. And I I think um, when we don't want to submit to that, what we're saying is, God, I I really don't want your kind of help. Like, I I want help, but not your kind of help. Jesus is so clear about that in John 15. He says, look, God's doing this. The Father is at work here so that you can bear more fruit, so that your life will count and will matter and will and will have impact. And sometimes we don't want to submit to that. How, how, do we, how do we beat that impulse back? We beat it back with this prayer of surrender, an invitation to pray that way. So here's the question. What, what, what's keeping you from praying that prayer of surrender? What, what's keeping you? Do any of those sound familiar? Your comfort, your freedom, your control, the fact that you have to continue on this path, the fact that God's kind of clipping some stuff off and it doesn't feel awesome. What's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from putting your yes on the table and keeping it there? 
I want to invite you to a practice, okay? To, to a particular, I know, we spent four weeks talking about the disciplines. I want to invite you to a particular discipline, very specific. Um, we were at uh, camp back in June, and um, the, the leader said, man, what, what if we started every day on our knees with our hands open to God? Said, God, whatever you want today, I'm in. I took that seriously. I want to invite you to take it seriously. So this summer, this is how I start my day. I get down on my knees and I say this, hands open to God. And I say this, God, whatever you want from me, I'm glad to give up. Because if you hadn't figured this out yet, God doesn't ask for anything from me that's good for me. You know what I mean? Like, like if he's taking stuff away, it's because I don't need it. God, whatever you want from me, I am, I am glad to surrender to you. And God, whatever you want for me, I'm glad to receive from you. Whatever you want from me, I'll gladly give up. And whatever you want for me, I'll be glad to receive. I, I want to invite you into that practice. And Maybe it starts this morning, like right now, for you. Here in just a moment, we're going to have some time of response. And maybe you come up to one of these places where you kneel, and you just say, God, whatever you want from me, I'll give up. Maybe you know exactly what he wants from you. God, whatever you want for me, I'll gladly receive. Some of you may think, I'm not sure I can make it to the front. That's fine. you got somebody next to you who will go with you, I promise. You may not even know their name, but they'll go with you. Maybe you need to come up to the front here and just kneel on the stairs or on one of these kneelers and just, God, whatever you want from me, I'll give up. Whatever you want for me, I'll gladly receive. And if we can pray with you, I'll be at the back, be a couple of others at the back, that we'd be happy to pray with you as well. But I'm going to start by praying for us now. And then we'll just have a time of response. And maybe you need to engage in this particular discipline, this particular practice to say, God, whatever you want from me, whatever you want for me, let's pray.